This is, of course, one of my favorite days of the week because we visit with our friend Jamie Court, who is more famous than we know. Jamie Court can be found at consumerwatchdog.org because he's the president of consumerwatchdog.org. Uh, for my for my money, for my ideas, this is the best consumer watchdog group around because expose, confront change. And Jamie Court had an op-ed in the Los Angeles Times not long ago. That'll get us started, but we got more to do. Jamie, thanks for coming back on the Norman Goldman Show. Always my pleasure, Norm. Well, Jamie, you uh, I, I opened my LA Times there Friday, January 11, 2019. We haven't had a chance to talk about this with all the all else going on, but there you are right there on the op-ed. And this is not a of course, your first op-ed published in the LA Times, but but the issue is really hot and never-ending and really important now, as always. Rain in robot cars, or humans will lose the right of way. Now, Jamie, I love the op-ed. For those who haven't read it, what are we talking about here? Well, look, we've got a a, uh, a autonomous vehicle uh, invasion on some of these roads in Arizona and California and Texas, a few other places. And, you know, people may be walking down the road and they're in their neighborhood and all of a sudden they see a car with no driver. And, you know, in Arizona, we had a big reaction to this, according to the Arizona Republic. There are people who are literally uh, pulling guns on these cars, taking knives to their tires, throwing rocks at them. People are doing civil disobedience, standing in front of them so they can't move. They're sick of these cars prowling their neighborhoods without permission, without licenses, where kids play, it's dangerous. And these companies went to Arizona to test. And in Arizona, we had the first death of a, of a human being by a uh, robot car, by an uh, automated vehicle. And it was shocking to see on video. And uh, a cyclist, someone who was actually just walking a bicycle, went right in front of the car, the car didn't see her, ran right over her, didn't even stop. There was a test driver in the passenger seat, barely noticed, you know, if a human driver were in a neighborhood like that, where there's, you know, people, uh, it's a university town, uh, people crossing the road with bicycles, they'd be watching with peripheral vision. These robot cars are ruthless. They're programmed by corporations. They are not sentient in the way human beings are. And people who say that robots can drive better than human beings don't understand. Human beings' brain, human beings' peripheral vision, our, our senses, our, I believe in humanity. Uh, and, you know, sure, there are times people shouldn't be driving or some people who shouldn't be driving you know, over a certain age. But generally, we are respectful of life. And, and these cars, um, the, the people in Arizona don't feel that way. And so there has been this robot car revolt, literally, in Arizona with people uh, stopping these cars from going in their neighborhood. And it's, I think, symptomatic of a bigger problem nationally. Because if you look at polls, 75 percent of the public won't ride in a self-driving car. They don't believe in them. They don't trust them. And yet these car companies are speeding them to the roads without regulation. We narrowly avoided a uh, federal spending bill amendment that would have allowed these cars on the roads despite state regulations in California against them being on the roads without test drivers, without proper safety precautions. You know, I think all these politicians who jump on the bandwagon of uh, automated vehicles are missing uh, the very significant moral sentiment we have that we don't trust computers, particularly ones programmed by corporations, by car makers, with values that are often prioritize the occupants of a car over the pedestrians. We don't trust them to be on the roads until we know how they're programmed, who's programming them, and, and these companies don't want to give us the details. So 
I, I see this as a battle that's going to go on and on. And I, I, I predict that any Democrat who takes this issue on, and that, a Republican for that matter, in the uh, presidential election next time and says to Silicon Valley and to these car makers, I'm with the people in Arizona. I'm with the 75% that says, we're not ready. You better be transparent how you develop these cars. You better make sure they're not prone to cyber hacks because they are connected to the Internet. And when they're connected to the Internet, uh, it's like your iPhone. Anything can be hacked that's connected to the Internet. But when it's a car that can kill people, that's very dangerous. So I think there's a, a lot to be said and done. And nobody on the political scene has really uh, begun to talk about this issue because it takes on Detroit and it takes on the Silicon Valley. It takes on some big money and interest. It is the future issue, future consumer issue of our time. And uh, it's something the public's really deeply concerned about. And we haven't seen one single politician address it. So I invite politicians of any party to bring it on because I think it's, it is what the public feels. And it's why when you have politicians that refuse to take corporate cash uh, they're a little bit freer to actually listen when you tell them uh, you're not feeling safe with these self-driving cars around. Let's put a let's put some rules on. Jamie, you have identified the disconnect between the public and politicians on this issue, and we see it also with those bird scooters, right? Those little scooters that are uh -huh. just left around on the streets. I mean, people have thrown them into the bay, into Santa Monica Bay, over by where Consumer Watchdog is, right? People have thrown them into garbage uh, cans. They've beaten them up with with hammers and stuff. I mean, it, it, they've become, you know, basically objects of, of violence and derision. This is not healthy for a society and now i mean i was amazed in your in your op-ed there in the los angeles times on on january 11 2019 your report that people are slashing tires and taking other physical violent acts against these cars i mean this is shocking behavior even though i agree with you these cars shouldn't be on the roads but i mean this shows you the disconnect between the public and the politicians somebody's got to you know get this issue elevated no yeah absolutely and you know what the industry says well, absolutely oh, People didn't like uh, the idea of, uh, of cars when they were riding horses, and people didn't like the idea of airplanes. But, you know, that's nonsense, because this is not about, you know, us not being early adapters. That's the term. You know, we're just too scared to adapt it. This is about the car companies proving that these cars are safe by showing us how many accidents they have by not fleeing to Arizona, which is what Uber did when it killed that woman. Uh, in that, you know, crossing the street with the, with the first death of a human to, under, under their wheels. They went to Arizona because they were fleeing the state streets of San Francisco where they were testing these cars without permission from the Department of Motor Vehicles, which would have required in California, based on uh, some rules we wrote, that um, you have to disclose when these cars are disconnected from a computer, when something goes wrong, when a human driver takes over. So rather than submit to those requirements, Uber went all the way to Arizona where it killed them. These companies are doing it backwards. They are not trying to you know, get our trust first. They're not trying to open up uh, their computers and show us how they work and what the real state of the technology is. They're promising the blind will be able to drive again. Drunk drivers won't have to worry about a lift. They're promising all the, all the great things these cars could hold, but they're not bothering to tap into human sentiment and our social customs and our ethical mores and say, you know, we're not ready yet for computers to be making life and death decisions when we don't know the algorithms they're programmed with.
We're talking to our friend Jamie Court, and you can see why I'm a fan of Jamie Court, C-O-U-R-T. He's the president of Consumer Watchdog. I'm a big fan of Consumer Watchdog. Find them all. Jamie Court and his great colleagues at Consumer Watchdog online at consumerwatchdog.org. And Jamie, you and I, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Pacific Gas and Electric in the Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area. They cover, from what I was reading earlier this week, they cover about 40% of California consumers and businesses and stuff. I mean, it's a giant utility, covers millions and millions and millions of people. And they went and filed for bankruptcy, formally filed for bankruptcy. But when I started looking around, turns out their assets are more than their liabilities. Jamie, how can you be bankrupt when you have more than you owe? That doesn't sound like bankruptcy to me. You shouldn't be. I mean, they're claiming that these wildfire liabilities for all the, 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 the fires they started are why they need to go into bankruptcy. But yeah, look, the shareholders, the hedge funds, the you know the the, the wildfire victims, attorneys, are all, the, the, the consumer advocates are all saying, wait a second, they can pay their bills. These verdicts haven't happened yet. They were just cleared in a big fire last week. Uh, you know, this is all speculative, and yet PG&E not only went into bankruptcy, but earlier this week, our Public Utility Commission, which has been, by the way, in, in, over the last 10 years, mired in scandals, including a criminal investigation of the former president who stepped down. This is not a uh, model body for the public. Our Public Utility Commission, on an emergency basis, said uh, we're going to approve a $6 billion loan backed by ratepayers, which you can float as bonds in bankruptcy. This didn't happen the first time PG&E went bankruptcy, uh, bankrupt in the Enron years. The PUC didn't do this, but our Public Utilities Commission did it on an emergency basis over the objections of the Office of Public, uh, of the ratepayer advocate, a public office who said, no, you've got to put some conditions that say that ratepayers can't be stuck with unreasonable rates. They did it, four to zero, uh, and it, it was just outrageous that the governmental entities supporting this bankruptcy petition, when we have a federal judge, um, a guy named uh, Judge Alsop up in um, San Francisco, who's overseeing, he was a six-time felon, he's overseeing the consent decree under the conviction in over the San Bruno gas explosion where PG&E didn't repair pipes that had money to repair from the Public Utilities Commission, and the pipes exploded and people died. And he's overseeing the consent decree and said they violated the consent decree based on their lack of the fire safety standards and the clearing of vegetation. And he's saying, you know, can I just stand by? Literally said, can I just stand by while you kill people? He said, let's be very clear with PG&E. He said this yesterday. Climate change didn't start these fires. You did, PG&E. You started them. So this guy, I hope, uh, will ask for the bankruptcy case because if they go through a bankruptcy proceeding in this guy's court, believe this me, guy. they're not going to. They're not going to. They're not going to be getting a free ride. They're going to be asking the questions we're now asking. But this public utility commission needs to be fired, and they were appointed the four members by Governor Brown. Uh, Governor Newsom, who's our new governor in California, this is going to be the first big test of his governorship. Is he going to get control of this Public Utility Commission? Is he going to change ways? Because the reason PG&E is in the place it's in is it didn't clear vegetation from power lines. It didn't modernize equipment. It hasn't taken safety seriously in the last two decades, and the Public Utility Commission keeps letting them get away with it. There's no cop on the beat. We've got to put a cop on the beat, and... Um, and I think in bankruptcy, the problem is PG&E gets to evade paying full and fair value to the wildfire victims, 
Uh, rate payers uh, now are going to be saddled with higher rates because of these bonds. The Because of this credit line that was approved for the bankruptcy yesterday, that's money for the lawyers and for the banks to finance the bankruptcy. It's not money for the fire victims, which was uh, a separate bit of bonds that will only be approved after the verdicts happen. And so the wildfire victims are going to be last in line. Uh, this is just uh, a, a case study in how a corrupt corporation who throws a lot of money around, they throw millions of dollars around in politics, can buy political cover, can buy public utility commission appointments, which they did under Governor Brown, and can then get a $6 billion credit line in bankruptcy when the legislature no longer listens to them because they're too fed up. Something's got to give here, man. This is, um, this is a moral bankruptcy at the heart of PG&E, at the heart of our public utility commission, which really should be called the PG&E Underwriting Commission, not the Public Utility Commission. And it's all in Governor, New Governor Gavin Newsom's lap, and he's going to have to deal with it. Well, Jamie, I think you've been nailed it there. There's moral bankruptcy here because, to me, this is a bad faith misuse. It's a bad faith abuse of bankruptcy. It's a device. They're using bankruptcy as a device, as a cold calculated tool to get leverage you know, over, over rate payers and politicians. I mean, to me, the bankruptcy court should just throw them out on the ground and say, hey, you are bankrupt, all right, but you're morally bankrupt, and so get out of my courtroom. Uh, Jamie, it seems to me that they really have proven their moral bankruptcy because this is, and you pointed it out a moment ago, this is their second bankruptcy in 18 years. When Enron did the swindle back in 2000, 2001, right? PG&E went bankrupt then. So it seems to me their motto is, when times are good, we take all the cash. When times are bad, we stick you suckers in rubes with all the bills. Isn't that the motto? It's the, the, yeah, the, I mean, that's how their behavior they, is. They privatized all this gain over these years. You know, their capitalization was about $12 billion bucks on the market a few months ago. And then when the hard times come, they want to socialize all the risks and put it on the back of the ratepayers and the public. And sorry, we burn your house down, wildfire. Because one of the most outrageous things, Norm, in the bankruptcy filing, they propose giving $130 million in bonuses to managers. Oh, no. At the same time, well, but at the same time is that they're refusing to pay legal obligations, debts they owe to the victims of the Butte fires wow. in 2015 that they started. Drain that, that swamp. Is moral bankruptcy. Drain that swamp. That's moral bankruptcy. Jane, Jamie, how do how do we take over the company? How does the state of California just buy the company, take it over, make it a public utility? Well, Senator Jerry Hill and others have suggested that, but it's harder now because the Public Utility Commission just backed up those $6 billion in bonds with $60 billion in assets that we would have bought. So now, if those bonds are floated in bankruptcy, we're going to have to pay off the bankers to get the assets. So it, it just became harder yesterday to publicly buy the company, but it's still possible. Um, you can go into bankruptcy court and make a bid at part of the reorganization. You could also, I mean, the, Judge Alsop's been asked to, uh, by the turn, which is a uh, group, a consumer group up in the Bay Area, to put PG&E in receivership. Uh, if Judge Alsop takes over the bankruptcy, it might even be more possible for a public takeover. Uh, legislation can accomplish it. Municipal utilities can also exercise their power of eminent domain and take over and pay fair and fair, full and fair value for the assets in their communities. All that can happen, but we've got to stop in bankruptcy these bonds from being issued. Otherwise, it becomes really hard because the assets that back up those bonds, the 60 billion assets that are going to be encumbered are the ones that we need to purchase. Jamie, I got to leave it there, but I really appreciate your 
pro-consumer perspective and analysis. We don't have enough of it out here. I appreciate you being part of the team as well. Check out Jamie Court, C-O-U-R-T. Jamie Court is the president of Consumer Watchdog. You can find him at consumerwatchdog.org, and he's got a bunch of great colleagues. They're doing our work for us at consumerwatchdog.org. Check him out. Jamie, thanks as always. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Norm. Take care.